Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Bijou Podcasts. Today is episode 82 of the Stacey June Show. And today my guest is Edwina, registered midwife and nurse and founder of Birthbeat. Hi friends, how are we? I am Stace, the host of the Stacey June Show and I'm here to introduce my guest to you this week. It is a Thursday so we are doing an interview episode. If you haven't heard my show before, welcome. Uh, It is a complete concoction of my life, also uh, interesting people's lives and things that I feel like I can collate and put together in one place for everyone to learn a little bit more about themselves. In particular, the kind of person I am as well is to really stretch ourselves and find solutions, answers, uh, potentially... um, paths and different offerings that aren't always readily thrown in our face. We want to be able to learn how to go within so we can figure out how to best move forward with different decisions and different parts of our lives. And hopefully I offer guests that will show you how to move forward with those types of things, but also in all of the other work I do on Self-Centered Sunday podcasting and Single Pringle podcast, I hope that you're getting some tools uh, on how to better know yourself because that's really where it all starts. And once you have a bit of an idea of who you truly are as opposed to who you think you are, we can start to live life a little less anxiously and a little more seamlessly. So for those of you that are aware or or not aware, I am, oh my goodness, six and a half months pregnant and it's been such a roller coaster of emotions for me to get here um, as it would be for any, any person that's looking to have a baby. But in particular, for my husband and I, we took a fertility treatment process because of his prostate cancer diagnosis. So there was absolutely no option for us and will not never be an option for us to conceive naturally. So that has been so many things and uh, we have tracked our entire journey on another podcast which I'll put in show notes called Couple Goals which Ben and I do together which is really important I think for that particular story to be told because it it did start with Ben uh, and his particular diagnosis and I also think it's really important that we share that story together because I think um, I don't know if there's enough storylines around the couple's uh, story and what it's like to be a dude and a and a chick in that process and how you can kind of come together, stay separate, come together, stay separate and, and learn about 
everything you need to learn in that process um, as a family unit, even if you haven't actually received your baby yet. So lots in there. It is also Pregnancy Awareness Month, uh, Pregnancy Loss Awareness Month this month. Um, so I wanted to raise that. Pink Elephant Support are the people that I forward anybody to if they are experiencing some grief or loss around pregnancy. We speak a lot about this on Couples Goals and I will also put that in show notes. But my guest today is here to talk to me about everything pregnancy. And the questions I have for her are particular questions that I found and felt were really um, not as readily told as what I guess some particular answers um, are given in this realm of pregnancy dialogue. And when I say dialogue, I mean blogs, I mean articles, I mean books, I mean videos, YouTube, bloggers, the works. And I really had to dig deep to get the answers that I wanted and needed and still do. And Edwina has been incredible at really focusing on the types of topics that I want to talk about. But this Bish has a lot going on and she does a lot. So um, it is an incredible resource that she offers called Birthbeat, which is a midwifery program and a childbirth and parenting education program all online. And one thing I really didn't realize that when I went to my local hospital and I put my name down for a midwife program, which we talk about the different offerings of care in pregnancy in this podcast, I was very unfamiliar with the options out of public-private. I didn't really know how else to support myself and my partner, how else to look at options of having this baby. And once I started to dig a little bit deeper, I realized there were many more than that and many different ways that you could probably be flexible with those options. So once I went to my hospital, I was um, lucky to get into the midwife program, which is, we'll explain again, a, a different program separate to the public hospital, but it is a public offering, so I don't pay for it. Um, and once I received that um, information that I got in or I got, I found out I got in, I um, was very open and willing to talk about the option of home birth. So there was all these different factors and all these different options that I had that I presented to them that they came back and said, yeah, great, we can look at that. Yep, we can look at this. And so my experience in some ways was very naive because I live in a place that offers A, a midwife program, B, has a a very good women's hospital in its area and C, offers home birth. I found out very later in the picture, only a few weeks ago actually, that home birth is only offered publicly in the public system in 13 hospitals in the country. I had absolutely no idea that I was as lucky as I am. And the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is because you could be in any part of the country, in any part of the world and not necessarily having the absolute um, ginormous amount of tools that I have at my fingertips. And that's why I think programs like Birthbeat are incredibly important because Edwina offers a lot of education and and I guess the tools that I'm getting living in uh, the middle of Sydney on her website and in her program. So if you are a person that is looking for similar kinds of options that I have had it's definitely a place to start. Um, she's, you know, it, it is an online program and there are different offerings that her and her team um, offer. But I think if you are looking to have different ways, different approaches, learn about different things at the, the local hospital, maybe 10, you know, 100 kilometres from you don't offer, then this is a really good option for you. Um so that is a little bit about what 
um, Edwina does. She started these programs once she had her babies and realised that she wanted uh, a birth experience that was positive. She wanted women and families in her area to have the same opportunities, which then I think essentially ended up building her online community and um, and she's just gone gangbusters with it. The birth beat education classes um, are really about so many different things. You've got kind of first aid options, but then you've got all of these different um, conversations around. I suppose it would almost be holistic ways to birth as well. And when I say holistic, that's such a word that's been incorporated, introduced to us at this point in our life, really everything that I've been interested in, everything I've been studying, everything that I have been um, doing has really gone back to basics. So where did this begin? Where, What did we do originally before all of the dialogue, all of the conversation, all of the men started to get involved in an action our bodies as women do very naturally and turn it into some form of medical procedure. I need to also make sure that I mention that Edwina's work is all completely scientifically and medically proven and based. So it is. Um, it does offer this whole other side of, I guess, a full rounded picture, but it is all, she is a trained and registered midwife and nurse. And that is essentially where most of her, um, well, all of her, her teachings come from. And I, and I know she mentions that in the podcast a few times, and I know she'll be very, um, very passionate about that being very clear that everything she teaches, everything she does, um, has a scientific and medical, uh, tick of approval essentially. Um, so you can feel safe if you're a person that wants to maybe explore things that haven't been offered to you, but you can feel safe in knowing that she does come from a complete medical background. Um, so I guess my questions for her were about uh, cord cutting early with the placenta, different types of things that we're told in pregnancy that potentially um, are good or not good for us. And, and when I say that, there isn't really one way. Both of us bring that up often. If we speak about specifics, it's about my specific pregnancy and my story. But the one thing I think I've realized with pregnancy and childbirth is that there is no particular, there's no possibility that a birth story could be exactly the same as the next person's and a pregnancy can be the next as the same person's. A, we're all different women and B, we are all birthing different children. So it just doesn't make sense for there to be this one-size-fits-all approach. So when you are reading, when you are exploring, when you are experimenting, do it as much and as liberally as you wish. But just keep in mind that the the buck really stops with you, that all of these examples are still not you. And use them as tools and information to be able to come back to yourself, whether it is in your meditation, whether it is in your own way, whether it's when you walk, whether it's, you know, there's, there's ways that we know when we come back to ourselves and we know our gut, we know our intuition. You know what is best for you and you know what is best for your baby. And it's really important to educate ourselves in this process and it's really important to lean on people like Edwina and and people that have been doing this before us, whether they're doctors or surgeons or experts or researchers. All of those factors are important. For me, they're important as well as birth stories and um, history lessons and ideas of how you know, how our system, our medical system has changed from how it used to be with childbirth to now. 
all of those things are important to me, but none are more or less important than the other. It's just information that you take to then come back to make decisions for you and your baby. Somebody mentioned, uh, commented to me the other day on my Instagram and brought up uh, a cup of coffee that I was having and, and asked a question. And it's interesting when on Instagram, I get I don't really get direct trolling, but I do get this kind of passive level of trolling, which is to pose a question to me. And it was, is coffee okay? And it's such an interesting question because it's like, well, I don't, I drink coffee um, as a person and my bestie Beth coffee's not okay for her. How does anybody answer whether coffee is okay for themselves versus someone else as this kind of generic big question on a regular day, let alone when you then start to think about pregnancy? And I know that there's safety guides and there's elements of us that want to be able to have procedures or structures in places like vaccinations and and different things like that. Safety cautions, we'll be doing that with our birth as well. You know, there's particular... Uh, structures that have been put in place to make sure that mum and bub and people are safe. Of course, that is without saying. But at the same time, it's just such a ridiculous idea to think that I have the answer about whether a coffee is good for you as it is for me. And that applies in pregnancy. It's just not okay for there to be this subtle shaming about what somebody wrote on some medical, you know, some kind of research that was done around coffee, which is still obviously very, um, it's still very loose because a lot of people don't want to put their bodies and their babies through all kinds of research and testing. So a lot of the research and testing that we do have when it comes to things we consume in pregnancy is a little loose because we don't know for sure. People aren't wanting to put their bodies and babies through a testing process. So I, for a lot of the things, have really followed how my body feels. I know that one, max two cups of coffee a day is absolutely my limit during pregnancy. It's kind of my limit as a person anyway. Um, But mostly I'm drinking one morning coffee and that's it. That's for me. I can't, I don't even think your body would respond to my approach to coffee the same way as mine does. So my point is really with the information Edwina brings and the information that you are getting through pregnancy, please be the driver of your own car and your own family because you know so much more than you give yourself credit for. Edwina is so delightful in empowering me through this. Um, she, It's been so great to team myself with people that are medical experts but also completely understand the emphasis of a woman knowing her body and her baby. And we really need to regain that power in our birthing stories. And she is such an incredible example of a very great balance between the two of offering this medical advice and making sure that you feel empowered in who you are and what is right for you. So I hope you enjoyed this chat. As I said, we speak about cord cutting, we speak about pregnancy, we speak about um, childbirth, we speak about the different offerings when you first find out you're pregnant, which way to go, how to figure it out. And and we speak about just all the, the, the things that I didn't know that I needed to approach when I fell pregnant. Um, And so I hope it is of some use to you, whether you are pregnant or thinking about getting pregnant or maybe neither, but you actually want to learn a little bit more about a very big part of women's health. And I think that's really important for us to 
pay attention to because as much as it wasn't relevant to me at all, I am quite surprised at how much or how little I knew just because it hadn't happened to my body, which makes me think, did I ask my friends enough questions? Are we taught enough in school and society? There's so many different factors of that, which is for another day. But Regardless, I think this episode is really important wherever you find yourself in life. But in particular, preggy chicks, this one you'll love. All right. I hope you enjoy my chat with Edwina. All of the information are in show notes of where you can find birthbeat.com.au. And if you've got any questions for either of us, make sure you hit her up and say you heard her here. Or of course, you can find me on Instagram, DM me at Stacey June, or always email us at podcast at stacyjune.com. Enjoy. Edwina, thank you so much for your time today. We, I had to interrupt our chat that we were having pre-record, like before I press record, because I was like, no, 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 we have to record <laughs> all of this. Yes, once you get me started talking about um, birth and preparing mums, it's hard to shut me up, basically. Uh, Sorry, Stace. <laughs> oh no, no, no! I'm so excited, and it's been interesting because. I haven't, I've waited for the right conversation to have. I do want this to be a bit of a tool guide of essentially the ins and outs of pregnancy and planning birth, but the things that I suppose I have found less common in terms of information to get online or or given to you readily. So I am excited by the chat that we've already had. Um, I want to open up that conversation, I guess, and start there is essentially this idea of when I fell pregnant and started to have to think about um, my care options very early in the game, um, which I was quite unprepared for, to be honest, get on to a a midwife program or, you know, go to your GP or are you going to go for an obstetrician? But there were so many parts of that process for me of how to – I guess, engage care through pregnancy and then for your birth that were not shared, like a doula, like a private midwife, like a home birth, parts of uh, the puzzle for me that I am quite interested in and will engage in. Could you talk to me about, I guess, the full full spectrum of what we could, we can be looking at when it comes to considering our pregnancy and our birth care? That maybe yep, that isn't absolutely. as readily available, and just start from there. And it and it does sort of um, it's still beggars belief, really, that there can be so much information out there on the internet. You know, you can read so much in forums and things, but then you get to that point, you know, where you and Ben are, and you're like, now what? You know, we go through fertility challenges, or you can go through whatever your personal journey is to finally get pregnant. But then it is, honestly, a really hard roadmap to follow. And, you know, I'm a registered midwife, have been for 15 years. I've seen thousands of births and supported lots of parents in their prenatal education. But even when I had my daughter, like I think it's interesting, but then when I put my mum hat on, I was like, oh, this is pretty overwhelming. You know, this website says one thing, this contradicts the other this midwife will tell me one thing, this obstetrician will say something else. And I think that was what really lit the fire for me to go, it doesn't actually have to be this hard. So that's, you know, that's a great intro into why does it not have to look like that? And 
for me, okay, so for me the importance is about understanding what your options are. Now, when I talk about options, I also am really conscious of saying that it needs to be evidence-based. It needs to be an empowering decision for you, Stace. So you need to make a decision yourself. If you were going out to choose a job or start a job, you wouldn't expect to be doing that without gathering the all the information. And a lot of women often will enter the birth space without getting that information. So I am absolutely, absolutely passionate about making sure that we can provide that. Mm. So obviously there's the... Um there's an obstetrician, which is a private approach. There's a public, um, a public approach where you can check into your hospital. There's a shared care, from my understanding, which is you have appointments in your pregnancy half the time with a GP, half the time with a hospital. And then there's other things like a midwife program that's offered in some hospitals around the country, a private midwife, which I didn't know about, which you could hire um, like you would an obstetrician. And then there's obviously um, the doula part. Yep. Why is the second half of those options were things that were very hard for me to find information about and was very much led to a very I was very lucky in the fact that I have a lot of like-minded people around me that seem to be falling pregnant at the same time even though last year no one could get pregnant. Um so funnily enough it's interesting how that energy works. But but yeah, what's the? Is there a new wave of um, women feeling more empowered to look at different options for pregnancy and birth plans, or have these always been there and, and they've just been less, I guess, less known? No, absolutely not. And I'm I'm going to go back into probably a little bit of the history of midwifery. Um, I know that mm-hmm. sounds so dull, but no, it's no, actually no. fascinating it's because yeah. midwifery really started as a role that we were primarily there to support women. And mm-hmm. and I'm talking about births in Western culture, okay, because mm-hmm. I'm really mm-hmm. conscious that there's still really different birthing options globally and I'm really just talking about Western culture. So, And, and I think that will really resonate with a lot of your listeners. Mm-hmm. So midwifery was about the role of being with the woman and supporting the woman through her birth and her postnatal time, mm-hmm. so, you know, how to mm-hmm feed the baby, how to bond, how to bath, how to really care for your newborn. And then what has happened is that, and again, this is a lot of my opinion, so I'm just really conscious of saying that a lot of this is my opinion, that birth has become a very medicalized process and that's really been probably in the last 30 to 40 years. And now we're really starting to see a time where as consumers, you know, consumers of health, Our parents, so your mother, when she was birthing her baby, I imagine she would have seen her GP and then her GP would have told her, you know, when she goes to hospital. And we really had a culture of what a health provider said to us, well, that was that. You know, you didn't Mm. really question that. Now we are becoming much more informed in terms of how we are as consumers. So that's I see that as a really positive thing. But we also are very, um, we, we expect things to be at a much higher standard or to the standard that we expect. And because information is everywhere now, because you can go onto the internet and find information, it's much more accessible to be able to get differing opinions. So it's about understanding what are the different roles of those people that you mentioned. 
why I see and I, how I understand there's more of a push for doulas um, so, or private midwives would be that it actually has become really popular in the States and often you will see in Australia about five years after something becomes really popular in terms of health in the United States, you'll have a flow-on effect in UK and Australia. So we're now really starting to see that birth has become quite medicalised so the role of the midwife has been a bit more medicalised and so there's the role of the doula has really grown out of a place of need because the midwife may not be able to have the amount of time or support for that one-on-one care, which is so critical for the woman. So it's about kind of understanding the roles of those people. I don't want to discredit the role of the obstetrician or the GP because they also are absolutely critical in your care but they offer and deliver a different type of care because they're not there necessarily with you each week or each fortnight as you're going in and having your appointments. So it's about that information being so much more accessible and our options I think are growing because we as consumers or as mums or as dads are expecting more options. Does that sort of answer why it's happened, do you think? Yeah, it gives me a really clear idea of, I guess, the role of the midwife and where that shifted for sure. Because that is such a, cl- a, a such a clear space for me. I I was still I was aware of a doula. Um, again, yes, I I knew about them from I don't know just different spiritual th- podcasts or different things mm. I would have listened to over the years. And then my girlfriend had a doula in the states, so you're so spot yeah. on. Um, but my the blurriness was around what does an obstetrician do? What does a midwife do? Oh wow, a midwife can take you through that whole care okay like you know there was just a lot of information that I I guess was really um just something I hadn't been privy to before falling pregnant which is a lot is quite common because if I'm not pregnant I'm not yeah, exactly that's it. you're not reading books about pregnancy no <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I will do a disclaimer to say that when we do talk about in particular my birth or if you do give opinion or um there is no right or wrong on this show you know how I my listeners know how I stand on this but I actually as much as everybody is thinking I would be kind of super hippie and on that side it really is about facts and safety for me as well Mm. so we have a backup obstetrician um we have chosen we were lucky enough we're in an area that has a has a midwife program that happens to um offer a home birth um offering if it actually fits so they go through a ridge like a very vigorous testing system um and I'm very lucky because I just thought, oh, my God, you're going to laugh at this. But I just thought I'd always had these visions of having the baby at home. And we'll get into this in a, in a minute because I did have a think about um, just what worked for me and just tried really hard to stay in that headspace of the person I am through this pregnancy because it is very scary and hard to do that even if you're a person that – does that, advocates for that, works in that profession to try and get women to sit in that. When you're pregnant, it's a whole other kettle of fish because you're so so protective of this treasure and you're very Ooh. aware that there's a lot of information you don't know. So I tried really hard to just be responsible and safe but also continue to come back to myself. And it always made sense for me to start from the beginning, which was home. I'll be at home. If I can get support to stay here and everything's safe, why would I leave? And if I need to build it up, 
I'll build it up from there. That was kind of, I guess, where I came to. But I walked into the midwife thing. They said you could have a home birth as long as it goes by our safety. And then I walked out and then I didn't have any understanding at all that I think it's like only 13 hospitals in the country that do it. And it's quite expensive if that's what you want to do as an option. Is that is that fair to say? Because I was very surprised that it was a niche thing. I will say, um, again, with birthing options in Australia, but in particular, they, they vary greatly with where you live. So I'm actually based yeah, in a regional right. area. So I'm not, you know, we're not offered, able to offer home birth as an option because we don't have home birth registered midwives. And then yeah, I right. support women. So with our online program, we support women nationally. And we have people that live 300 kilometres from a hospital, 500 kilometres from a hospital. So they may not have a group midwife program. They may not have an obstetrician. They may not have even, like I have a woman at the moment who's preparing for birth and she's been told that if she would like to have an epidural, she would have to travel 300 kilometres to Rockhampton. So from where she's based currently. How fascinating. It's It's fascinating. And I think it's so fascinating for all Australians particularly to understand, and again, the same things would be happening in other countries, that it really depends because you're, you know, you're in the epicentre, you're in Sydney, you would have every option available to you. But we're all going to want to birth a healthy baby with a healthy mum. We all have the same agenda. Like you have precious cargo on board. That's why you're, you know, empowering yourself and learning all of this because you need to, to be able to go, I want to know that I've done the absolute best and most that I can do for my baby. Not all mums get to go through this sort of journey. A lot of mums actually find that very overwhelming and think, you know what, I don't want to know. I'm just going to wing it. Everyone else seems to be able to birth their babies And it's almost like they stay in a little bit of denial around childbirth education and just think like a disconnection kind of on the day. Yeah. And look, again, it's a very personal decision. If that's what they want to do, there is no wrong around that. But I sort of implore those parents to say it is a big journey. If you were going on any other sort of big life-changing journey, you would want to get as much quality education as possible. And that's what I'm really passionate about sharing. So everyone's going to have really different experiences. But for you personally, I think it's great that you've got all your options lined up. Because what I see, and I will say again, you know, it's probably just where where I have worked with women over the last 15 years, the women that will hold on to a plan. So if we talk about birth plans so passionately and really hold on to that so tightly, if I say to you now, Stace, you know, and you might share a bit about your birth plan and it doesn't go to plan, like, and listening to my language, how does that make you feel if something doesn't go to plan? Well, naturally I'm like controlling. So I've been very mindful of my, my, um, my sent myself in that yeah. because that's something I've, I've actually used my pregnancy as a really important part to work on that part of myself so Mm, mm. um you know it wasn't so much I think I had that great self-awareness so my immediate reaction was okay that's likely you know and just Mm. prepare myself for that far but if I'm truly honest it still makes me nervous it still Mm. makes you nervous to think that 
things won't go the way you want them, even as liberally um, and as flexible as I've tried to train myself. There is always there's that element and I'd be lying if I said it wasn't there. That's it. And you'll see when you're doing the course that even it's just around language, if something doesn't go to plan, you have this feeling of, you know, these it creates that sense of failure or something went wrong. Whereas if you just change like little things about changing the language, you have some birth wishes that you and your midwife will work on. That's a softer language, but also personally it's going to impact you not with a sense of failure at all. It's just, oh, well, that changed and we're flexible and we knew that when we were writing these wishes that we would be flexible and open to these opportunities. Sometimes when I'm helping women as well prepare for birth, it's also about maybe having a bit of perspective around what everyone else has an opportunity for as well because we live in a Western culture where actually it's highly, you know, we have a lot of opportunity and there is health intervention. So if you need an obstetrician and I, you know, that's a midwife is there for the physiologically well pregnant woman yeah. If there is something that goes wrong or if there is something that needs further intervention, that is then the role of the obstetrician. That is their specialty. That's what they've gone to uni and studied hard for and have years of experience. That's when you're going to want them. You know, I, that's that's no longer my role mm. as a midwife. It's then time to hand you on. I think we should also celebrate the fact mm. that that is there and that's available to us. You know, so it's kind of about changing. A lot of it is around mindset when you're preparing for birth. When you talk about home birth, though, if I can just quickly say this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, again, you, we were just talking about the role of oxytocin. So for all of those listening, um, you know, this takes probably about 12 hours to teach all about the role of the hormone. But if I can really quickly give an example, oxytocin Please. is the hormone that your brain produces that says, okay, we're going to have this baby. And I describe it like a coffee plunger. So old school coffee plunger, oxytocin oxytocin is up the top. That is the hormone that then tells your uterus to contract. Your Mm. contracting uterus then pushes on your baby's bottom. The baby's head then pushes on your cervix. So your cervix starts to dilate. You know, it's this beautiful, lovely coffee plunger. You want that, I'm I'm very visual. So I'm here doing all these hand gestures at me the moment. Me too. I realizing love this. That nobody yeah, yeah, nobody yeah. can see me right now on a podcast, <laughs> but you can see it in our videos. <laughs> but it's about the pod. It's about the coffee plunger having that lovely flow. So oxytocin is the first bit that starts. Oxytocin is a really shy hormone. So it's what you produce when you orgasm. It's what you, you know, it's what helps bring on your milk when your baby's born, when your baby's first placed up onto your naked chest. That really helps promote the oxytocin. And I read this fabulous, you know, just a anecdotal paper. It wasn't, you know, anything research-based, but where an obstetrician said the best place for you to birth is really a place where you would feel comfortable having a shag essentially so comfortable being intimate because you think of oxytocin it's this shy precious timid hormone and if you go into a brightly lit hospital that you've never seen before and there's six strangers in the room think to yourself would I be comfortable having sex in here right now (laughs) so like it's about kind of just understanding the role of the hormone so that's why Often women will labour really well at home and even if they are going to hospital to have a birth, which still the majority of women do in Australia, 
again, because it's not an option. And so I say to women, like, I give all the little tips and tricks, go and see the birth suite before you meet your baby there, you know, so that you've visualized it before. Turn the lights off, bring in your own scented oils, bring in your own pillow, bring in something that really just makes you feel comfortable, cozy. It's why women labor so well in the shower, in the bath, because it's much more private. Whereas so many women prepare for birth, but don't even understand the role of the oxytocin. So then you can't understand, well, this is why it's so important to create that sanctuary. Often women as well will be laboring really well at home and then they arrive at the hospital and their labor just stalls. It completely goes, the contractions stop because that's the role of the oxytocin has just gotten really shy and basically just stopped and it takes it a bit of time to then say, okay, I feel safe again. We're going to start contracting again. Labor's going to progress because the oxytocin's flowing. So like that little tip, it's you want it to be there and you want it to be flowing freely and you're going to have a faster, safer, more comfortable labour and birth. I just love that word, shy. (laughs) I just think it made me very emotional actually because I I just think that there is this beauty and this vulnerability that so many of us in the, like in the public aisle, whether you are, um, a podcaster or whether you, you know, it's very hard to really articulate that part. You, it's it's all been told stories of it's either kind of hospital walls or it's orgasmic birth. There's a really hard line in the middle that I think is very misunderstood by a lot of people. What do you mean orgasmic birth? What do you mean the only other option is a C-section? There's really this kind of lack of education around that that understanding of that middle part and and with that knowledge and the wording that you've used is just such a beautiful feeling as opposed to a thought. So I think yeah. anyone listening that is going through a pregnancy or thinking about their birth, straight away you're taken to this place of how you want to feel when you use the word shy. Like yeah. it is a really beautiful thing. And it's funny because when I saw the midwife suites, um, you know, and and fine, if we, we, we go there, we go there, we make it work. I have a doula to try and prep that to the, exactly how we want if that's where we land. But it was something about um, the bath uh, that was quite big and then the double bed that yeah. was interesting to me. And that makes so much sense when you explain it like that because there's such an intimacy that I think we really don't understand when it comes to birth. I, I think we've just completely misunderstood exactly what's going on internally and that then therefore it feels very disjointed or misunderstood or um I don't know just kind of um lost in in that process so I think yeah it's a really really nice way to look at it and think about it because if you do set it up for sex no it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to have an orgasmic birth or whatever that even means it doesn't have to go that far but it just means that there is a similar sensation, a similar vulnerable place you find yourself that mm. may not all make sense, but at least you can start to understand the hormone is the same and that's probably why at times you feel the way you feel. That's it just, it. And it's so You have beautiful. touched on two things that are so spot on and I guess this is what has been so popular for Birthbeat is I, it's not about me saying how you should birth or having any sort of judgment about your birth. It is about you making that decision and the spectrum is so huge, like what you just said. It's not orgasmic, you know, candles, chanting my baby Mm. out, 
or Mm-mm. sterile Mm-mm. C-section. The spectrum is so much bigger than that. And actually, you can still have a beautiful emergency cesarean experience with someone who loves you, touching you, kissing you, letting them know how proud they are of you. The oxytocin is still flowing. You are still safely meeting your baby. So it's about sort of removing that. And I think there's so much pressure put on women, particularly in Western cultures, about the right way to birth. You know, so in our professional standards, we call it a natural or normal vaginal birth. And I hate saying that because I'm like, it doesn't mean that another type of birth is unnatural or not normal. It's just another way that your baby has been birthed into this world. Birth is birth. Like we just sort of need to start having that conversation. So again, and you know, it was hugely confronting to me. We just filmed a full C-section for, for our education portal. And so we follow the couple through. They talk about why they're having an elective C-section and what impacted that decision, what it looks like going from the ward into theatre, into recovery, back to the maternity unit. And this couple were hugely generous to share that with me. We had six cameras in the theatre, you know, like it was a full-on production. But what I think is so important is to say that is still their birth, that about 30% of Australians and, you know, in Western cultures, they will still have a birth that looks like that. And I had a few midwives say things to me like, why are you promoting cesarean sections or why are you promoting that over a vaginal or a normal birth? And I said, well, I'm not. What I'm trying to do is support all women in all birth. And if we just pretend like Mm. that's not happening and prepare everybody for vaginal birth, it's really scary for that other 30% Mm. and what they're going to experience because I think all birth can be beautiful but if you understand why that was needed or why that happened or you made that and it was an empowered decision. So. And I think that's the key. I think there's still an element of many women that have gone through and maybe now that there's a whole other wave of people inquiring and, you know, trying to be Mm. curious and and then there's – and I've seen it in my life, especially for women that may have had births before me and not really dived in as much as I have and that's just who I am anyway. It doesn't make a difference if this was 10 years ago, it's in 20 years. That's just – I'm a journalist. Like that's what Mm. I do. But I have seen a moment where the pennies kind of dropped and said, I didn't really ask those questions or Mm. I – and I think that's the only regret. It's not how the birth happens. It's not which way it comes but it's just the fact that, you know, we need to make sure that we um, are inquiring for ourselves and not necessarily just signing up to the status quo. And I think yeah. that's the bit that could be a little bit, um, dist- you know, just a bit uncomfy for people with this new wave of uh, people trying to find their own groove in it. Would you agree? Yeah. It is a bit of a, oh, a, totally. a soft and spot. Look, I, personally, yeah. I really believe, like, and obviously I'm hugely passionate about a women being prepared and knowledge is power. But I do also share with my women that particularly women who have had a maybe traumatic birth experience, Mm. that that's their journey and they own that. And we can't, you know, whenever someone shares with me, oh, "Oh, well, you know, (laughs) fat lot of good education would have done for me or your course (laughs) wouldn't have helped me and they might share something and I'll always answer back to them and say, you know, thank you for sharing that with me. What did you learn about yourself in that experience? and then just sit with it, and every time they will share something, they'll say, you know, 
oh, well, actually I never realised I could be that strong or that I could manage Mm. something so intense or that my partner would be so incredibly supportive when I felt like Mm. I couldn't do it. There's always something that you're learning about yourself and there's always a positive to take out of what might be a traumatic or a negative experience. It's actually about helping those women to find what that positive is. Yeah, and it's the same with death. You know, we learn so much from grief and death. Mm. It's exactly the same with how much we've got the option and the, uh, well, not even the option, but the potential to properly learn from birth. Like it's, I see it as the greatest um, opportunity and as women we're even luckier to be able to have that because we are really experiencing that in a way that so many other lessons and hardships and things that we go through um, or good things, whatever, which way you want to look at it, uh, just skimming on the experience that birth and death give you. Like it's just such an epic transformation opportunity. Like it's – I'm fucking so – I mean I've already done it. Like (laughs) even just falling pregnant was offered me that. And now I I think about, my God, the things that I would have – you know, would have done so differently if I hadn't have had that fertility journey that I had. Like, I feel like it prepped me for so much stuff in my pregnancy that, you know, every single day and every single month that at times I wish didn't happen has been such a gift. I I feel like such a different mother already um, because of every kind of, I guess, difficult and challenging time we had through that time. It's been, I wouldn't wish any of it away, to be honest. And that's still hard to say, but it's how I truly feel. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I want to go on to language a little bit more before we move on and and just talk a little bit about, I mean, just the words, like the word wishes makes me think of birthday candle wishes it's just so beautiful the word that you used earlier with um shy uh, it's gorgeous and and we were talking about language and that particular hormone as well as on the flip side of that these kinds of parameters we put with birth so whether it's language whether it's things like your due date whether it's these mm. um i suppose uh, what would we call it, like a like structures or pressure points or things that really box us in, mm. how important do you think that is in opening up the gates and letting things be and how important do you think things like language and losing that, um, making sure that we stay flexible in things like due dates is important to to kind of a healthy pregnancy and birth? Yeah, and, and, I, and I will say that I work in a public hospital. I am governed by New South Wales health policies and procedures. So I can give you a very, um, I think, well-weighted mm-hmm. answer to that because, again, firstly, due dates is just an estimation of your date. Less than 5% of the population will actually birth on their due date. But let's just say, for example, you know, my Again, Polly, who is now seven, her due date was the 6th of February. I'm a registered midwife. Mm. I know that it's highly unlikely that she's going to arrive on her due date, but you're (laughs) so excited and the anticipation is so great around meeting this baby 
And particularly if you've had a long journey and you know, you're so excited about meeting them and in your mind and for 40 weeks you've said, the baby's going to be due on the 6th of February, 6th of February. And everybody's asking you, when's the baby due? 6th of you've February. Looked, you've looked and at the star sign. Yeah, you're wondering what the weather is. Everything. <laughs> you know what time the sun's going to rise on that day. You know what time the sun's going to set. Like you're obsessed with the day. <laughs> the minute I meet someone who's pregnant, I say, forget about your due date. Just please do me that favor. Don't share it with anyone. Because again, my personal experience was 6th of February, came and went. It was very hot. I live in Tamworth in regional New South Wales. And I still remember sitting at the kitchen table, feeling huge, feeling puffy, <laughs> feeling swollen, feeling uncomfortable, and just sobbing. And my poor husband was like, mm. Are you serious? You know, you knew that she was not <laughs> going to come on up, you know, the due date. So I'm like, <laughs> it's so unlikely. And I was like, I know, but I want to meet her. You know, that kind of feeling very <laughs> emotional. And very hormonal and it, it was a gift to learn that, of course, you know, it's so important that you don't put too much pressure and box yourselves in with those dates and times because there's two reasons. Sometimes what will happen is you will be offered some form of intervention. You know, you might have a midwife or an obstetrician that will say something like, oh, well, do you want us to help hurry things along? You know, mm. this is sometimes the language that's used. And it might mean that they're going to do a vaginal examination and um, try and stir things up, you know, like this is the language that's used and it sounds like really soft language, but it's actually a form of intervention. And we know from all the evidence that the more intervention that we do, the more likely you are going to need further intervention. So the best thing is just to be patient and wait and let your baby decide when you're going to meet them, you know work with your baby, listen to your body, don't rush this process. But on the flip side, I will say I need to give you the evidence and I need to give you the science that mm. says after about 10 days post your due date, it can, and, and again I'm saying it can, I'm not saying it is, become more risky for your baby. So in New South Wales, we will only let you go in a public hospital 10 days over your due date. You know, that's what our guidelines recommend and we will be making a plan to induce you. In Queensland, I know it's two weeks. Different states in Australia will vary differently. The same in the UK, in America, all over the world. They're all going to have different guidelines. Can you, and what Edwina, you need can to you fight it? Can you say... Like, can you talk? Yes, you can. Like, is it, is it a process? You can. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. you, and, and again, it's about knowing your options, being and having informed consent. So what I would say is that you really need to take the time to educate yourself around what risks am I open to taking and not necessarily being really set in your ways until it becomes that time. Because again, majority of you are, are, are majority of women are going to go, not go ten days over, but losing that real rigidity of owning that due date, you know, this one date. But then there's going to be certain influencing factors, and it might be age, it might be your weight, it may be, you know, um, what your previous birth experience has been. Things like that all influence your personal risk factors. So you need to really understand that and work with the team that you have chosen about having smart, empowered, informed consent. 
So like there is no right or wrong. It's your body. You need to make those decisions. But again, I would always say make sure that they're really well-informed decisions. And then because if you're thinking, oh, no, well, I don't want to be induced, well, what's that reasoning and what's your reasoning behind that? You know, are you doing what's best for you and for your baby? Mm. And on that as well, with the language element that we were talking about, I think it can be really quickly put in a bit of a hippie corner. You know, I even correcting my cousin on the weekend who was talking about um, trauma, but it wasn't a traumatic birth necessarily. It was just birth and the way to describe birth was, and because it's such a traumatic experience and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) And I said to her, I don't know if you're going to end up having kids or if you want them. I said, but, um, it's my job as like your big sister to just be aware that we don't use that word in this house, not just because I'm having a baby, but because I don't want you to think about it from this get-go for that. Um, and she kind of looked at me like, oh, Stacy with her hippie ways. But she did think about it. And I think a lot of those types of things like it's a sensation rather contraction or it's, you know, the hormone is shy or those things, people can really lose the value or the power in in reshaping the way that we've been conditioned to think about things. How important do you think it is to to take on that approach and, and to maybe retell some of the stories that we've been told subconsciously? Absolutely, yeah. And, and I think that you, like as a woman, you owe that to her as another woman to say, hey, well, wait a minute, you know, and, and I'm doing that constantly. People constantly share their birth experiences with me. And that really does come down to a lot about bias You know, so that might have been shaped by her as a woman. Um, She has been influenced maybe by her mother's experience or a sister's experience or somebody else's experience. But sort of saying, again, you know, what did you learn about yourself? What did you discover about yourself? And we have to be really conscious about how just that language, if you don't, you know, can can impact somebody else and they can think, oh, my gosh, birth's this scary thing and that's what starts them on that trajectory of I don't want to get educated, I don't want to watch a video, oh, gosh, birth, it's horrendous, everyone said it's horrendous, I'll just go, close my eyes, you know, not really think about the process and hope the baby comes out safely. Mm. And you can see why people do prepare like that when, you know, everything they read in social media, that it may be this horrendous experience. So it's really about changing the language. But also it's about saying, well, what do you want your birth experience to be like? And it, it does come down to preparation. So I, again, a lot of women that I meet will have had what they refer to as a traumatic birth experience. It might be that they had to have an emergency C-section or it might just be that they had from a medical point of view or from a midwifery point of view, I might look at their birth and think that it looked like a really positive birth experience, you know, because their perineum was intact, their baby's apgars were really good. Like these are the medical (laughs) things that we're looking at. But to that woman, she might not have felt heard or Mm. she may not feel like her um, dignity had been respected. You know, it can be little things that Mm. can make something a traumatic experience. Mm. On the flip side, I have women that might share something with me about their birth experience and they'll say, oh, well, we had to have an emergency C-section and the baby required resuscitation and my husband fainted and lost consciousness, but it was great. And I'm sort of there going from a medical perspective, it sounds like it was really traumatic, 
but to that woman it was a positive birth experience. So, again, it's about that spectrum. Mm. It's so big and it's so huge. Where I meet a lot of women is that they had a negative birth experience the first time because they didn't do education, they didn't feel empowered, and then the second time they're coming back and saying, I don't want that again. I want a more positive Mm. experience. And through having knowledge and feeling empowered, then it is a more positive experience. So it's it's not what the birth is. It's about how did you feel about your birth. You might have had a positive birth experience. Your partner, Ben, might be saying, well, heck, I did think that was traumatic. And then you go, okay, well, let's unpack that. Oh, well, Mm. I didn't understand what was going on here, here and here. Okay, well, for our next birth experience, let's make sure that you know what's going on. On that, how much is... How much of the birth experience, not necessarily post-birth but even leading into birth, how much of it is emotional and how much of it is physical? Um, Again, it's going to differ for different people and, again, you know, you might be a particularly more emotional or more hormonal person. So some people are really shocked by it. You know, some people say, oh, I'm not very maternal. And then their baby's born and put up onto their chest. And they go to mush and they think, gosh, how did I live without this little person in my life? So it's like I feel like that's a very personal, that's like that's going to be a really personal journey for each individual Let me ref- Let me rephrase the question because I think I'm more looking at from my perspective, and again, it's an opinion, but from my understanding and the experience I've gone through, there's been so little, um, I guess, encouragement for you to emotionally prep. And I, uh, I've, yes, you know, I, I've definitely mm. gone into that because I believe in that. I've always been, I've been in therapy my entire life, like mental health, all those kinds of things have always been such a value and such an asset and investment in my life. But that's me. And when I, and I still have just completely consumed um, myself in what everybody's consuming, A, because I'm so fascinated by this and women's health has always been an interest, but also because I have found it quite intriguing that there is so little like a lot of other things with mental health in this country I do find there's still much so much work to be done so that's I guess where I'm thinking about it whereas I think a lot of people will go to their appointments think about taking the classes for birth and and really miss a lot of the the key um I guess, prep opportunities for you to move into that transformation of a human, which is you, Absolutely. not necessarily the baby. And yeah. and I, I guess that's what I meant by the emotional versus the physical and how much we may be missing on understanding just how much of a, a transformation it is for us mentally and emotionally. Absolutely. So, I, and I guess how we term that and phrase that in birth beat is around mindset. And mindset plays a huge role in preparing for your birth. So, you know, what you're talking about there with the emotional, I I would refer to that, you know, as mindset. How do you prepare yourself? You know, how are you in that mental space to be prepared for what you're about to go through? And I totally agree with you. We've got to stop this conversation about physical health, mental health. No, it's just your health. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You as a whole and as a being stop the conversation about oh you've got to look after you know like it's perfectly okay for you to talk about wanting to lose weight or lower your cholesterol or lower your blood pressure everyone's like good on you Stace Mm. whereas if you said "I, I regularly have therapy because I want to make sure that I'm my best and you know my best self it's almost like oh okay and it's still so taboo 
whereas we should just be talking about health. Yes, and it's so segregated in even the question part of the midwife for the initial appointment. Like it's there and I think it's great and I, I'm, I would almost put my money on it that it probably wasn't there 10 years ago, a lot of the emotional questions um, or 20 years ago, which yeah. is, you know, what kind of relationships you've been in, if you suffer from anxiety or depression, but they are so disjointed to the actual mm. process. It almost feels like that if you're going to say yes or circle yes to any of those things, you're a flight risk. You're like, you yeah. know, there's some kind of – because you're aware of your past and you're being honest about it, it, it was very full on for them to kind of go, oh, okay, well, we might, we, we've got care here that we can offer you. And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. I'm actually – and that's what I think. I think I probably am a step ahead than someone that's not admitting this to you. No, you, you know? are and because you're – comfortable and secure and you yes. feel safe in being able but to there say was, that. There was definitely a big block there. There <laughs> yes. was definitely a block there, yeah. For those listening who probably won't know what you and I are referring to, it's called the Edinburgh, Edinburgh Depression Scale. It's referred to as the EDS. It's a oh, set yes. of questions and you answer A, B, C or D and it's basically, you know, um, have you ever been in a domestic violence situation? I think one of the questions is actually, and I remember when I first was having to ask women this question it made me feel really comfortable uncomfortable because it's is the father of this child a blood relative of the mother and I remember as a student you know like right. I was 22 or 23 and I was sitting there thinking is the father a oh I get what this question is which is a hugely confronting question to be asking yeah. a mother just in a tick and flick box in a 10-minute yeah. checking yeah, in it's, yeah, yeah. it's so yeah there's so much work to be done there but what I will say, and I absolutely, again, for any listeners listening to this, be honest, all it does is help for the midwife or the obstetrician or your care provider to start to think, well, you know, technically, scientifically, is this an indicator that you may, you know, experience some postnatal depression or anxiety? What do you currently have in place? What can we help you put in place? Those sort of things. So, the, the more honest, and I, and I think the majority of the questions are in the last seven days because a lot of the time yeah, okay. in pregnancy you can feel really overwhelmed, really hormonal, really um, yeah. emotional, and and that's very real. And, and we are very well resourced and experienced to help you with that. I will share a personal story. After I had Theodore, who's now five, you know, registered midwife, running my own company, employing people, appear from the outside to have my shit together for want of a better way of saying mm. it and then when I had Theo I was really struck with terrible postnatal anxiety I'd never experienced anxiety or depression before and it really knocked me and I remember so postnatally Stace you'll have to fill out that survey as well right and I remember sitting there and I knew all the answers that I needed to tick just to be able to walk out the door mm. and I was preparing myself for how mm. I was going to answer it dishonestly just so that I could get out of there mm. and I had my hand on mm. the door mm. and little Theo in his car capsule and the midwife who was also a colleague she said oh Edwina I forgot to do your EDS but you're right aren't you which is again you know terrible practice and I stood there with my hand on my door and I said you know what I don't think I am okay and it was you know it was oh, hugely shit. freeing just to be able to do yeah, that I... but it was also overwhelming to be able to say I don't think I'm okay and the other level of that I think which I didn't know until I fell pregnant is 
the added pressure you put on yourself because now you're stepping into parenthood. So I've always been, as you said, like very um, open about that part of my life. But when you're in a room and someone, you think someone for the very first time ever, it's my first pregnancy, um, is, is, you know, talking about your baby and your parenting and your motherhood, like, and asking if you're okay, you know, there is also this innate kind of thing you want to do to protect your image as a mother like and I couldn't believe how Mm. early that came up you know where I was like wow it was very hard for me (laughs) yeah well it was very hard for me to say yeah I have felt depressed over the past couple of years Mm. and I got that look that it just was a pause it was you know there's nothing Mm. really wrong but it was just a pause because I'm sure a lot of it was internally struggling for me but I really do you know, back and and back what you say about be honest no matter what because it would, if you're also having a first time pregnancy, it is going to feel even more confronting to say it than usual. Um, yeah. But at, like you said, at the worst, that they they kind of just check in on you and and if you're advocating for yourself and you are kind of mindful of who you are and how things work, then you can also say thank you, but I've got help elsewhere or thank. Think, you know, mm. you can control the dialogue afterwards. It's not like you're dropping everything in their hands and they're going to have child protection services taking them away from you. No, exactly. But it does. There's so much mum guilt. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, don't exactly. touch my baby and, and it's not even born. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you feel like there's that sense of failure. And, and I have to say, I feel like we could do another whole podcast on oh, postnatal and looking after yeah. yourself postnatally because that's, yeah, that's okay. honestly just that's so complicated and complex but for all the mums listening just to remember you can only be your best mum when you are your best self and it's really hard to be able to live that like I know it's an easy thing to say but look like you have to think about self-care and looking after yourself because very quickly it can spiral into you thinking that you have to do everything for the baby but if you're not looking after you you can't be your best mum. So I, I work with mums all the time who will be like really just sort of not acknowledging and looking after their own experience. And again, what we talked about earlier, I'm so grateful now for that experience with Theo. So I went and I spoke to a psychologist. I had my six sessions. You know, I was fortunate that I didn't need any medication. But at the time it was horrendous. But now I go, I'm so grateful because I'm such a better med- midwife. I'm such a better friend. I have so much more empathy for women who are experiencing it. And it is a lot of women that, and dads that will experience it. So it's just kind of like going, like what you said, it's hard to even say it now, but I am grateful for that opportunity to make me a better midwife. And again, I, I say to everybody listening, if a mum does say to you, you know, this is how I'm feeling, Often other mothers can be quite dismissive of that and like, oh, welcome to parenthood or, you know, oh, well, what did you expect it to be like or it's not all beer and Skittles. That's not what your friends need to hear. They need to be heard and really just sort of taking that time saying, oh, are you finding this really hard? Talk to me about that. You know, is there anything I can do? Because I think, again, as women, sometimes we've got to remember that we are there to support each other rather than sort of, oh, yeah, well, what did you think it was going to be like? And I, and I recently just wrote a blog on that because one of our birthbeat mums said that she was telling her friends for months, you know, I don't feel right, I don't think this is right. 
and was constantly being dismissed and we said it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. And I think it can be and to cut yourself some slack because it is hard and, you know, it's not saying that anyone should deny anxiety or depression feelings, but also some of it can be circumstantial where you might just need a, a help, like a period of help. It doesn't mean that, you know, I think a lot of times you say, oh, I'm not depressed. I'm not a person that suffers from depression. Well, maybe this particular pocket in your life you found hard and you feel the feelings of depression. And I think we have to be mindful of that. I know that that's with my fertility journey. You know, I remember my husband saying to me, I think you might be depressed. And I was so confronted. I was like, "Uh, what, what? And then I walked away and I thought about it and I said, yeah, he's got a point, but, and I, I have to take that on board. And I actually think he's right to some degree, but also I, you know, I'm going through fertility treatment and I'm I'm rotten at the moment. I just can't seem to see the light. So there's a bit of a dance with that. But it, my point is it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be in a box for the next 10 years of your life. Like it can also be a bit more, um, you know, it can be circumstantial and you may just need help for that period of time to get through whatever it is you're trying to navigate. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um. So before I let you go, because I think this has been, I cannot believe we've chatted for this long already, like it's gone so quickly, but I (laughs) want to talk about some ideas around, I guess, some myths essentially that I think are coming up at the moment for me and for the women in my life that are pregnant that I suppose if you can even just give some commentary on or some kind of thought on that either where they come from or why we find ourselves obsessing over these parts yeah. of pregnancy. But we, we can a do like a that quick come to mind because there are so many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. One of them's coming up a lot is that you cannot go early with your first. Like that's no, the big complete one. Myth. Yeah, complete right. myth. can just outright say that is not true. <laughs> Because okay. I, I know there'll be people listening going, well, I went early. You know, why would we have NICUs, neonate intensive care units, yeah, to okay. care for premature babies? Okay. Not true, complete myth. And is there any process as to why babies come earlier or later? Is it just the baby and just the situation of the mother? Like, how no. do you- So there can be, there can be um, medical reasons, there can be environmental reasons, there can be genetic reasons. It can be a whole plethora of reasons of why the baby comes early. A lot of mums also, and I think this is important that they understand this, it can also be things completely out of your control. Mm. Mm. Okay. So, again, that Um, sort of can take away a little bit of that, I guess, like I always just want to make sure that whatever I'm doing is of value to someone that it can just be that, you know, that the baby comes early. I think, again, we have done so well in so so before I was a midwife I was a NICU nurse so neonate intensive care unit and we were caring for babies when I first started in that area at around you know 24 24 weeks plus five so when you said to me what your gestation was earlier this is such a NICU nurse thing but in my mind I said oh so she's viable and that's a terrible word but basically I've looked after babies that are currently your baby's gestation in the outside world, mm. which is pretty okay. mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. So for, for women who have experienced that, it's hard. Yeah, 
and it's also it's just that kind of conversation of everybody throwing out their own experiences, isn't it? Like, like it's just it's your experience has absolutely no impact on somebody else that's going through something. It's quite I know full on. Um, it's oh, yeah, it can so be quite casual, casual convo. Um, the other one that I've got, or a couple others that I've got, is that big babies are this fear now. That so essentially that if you've got a bub that's kind of anywhere from eight pound up that it's, it's, it's an automatic C-section? Yep, absolutely no. Dispel that. So my son, Theodore, 4.2 kilos, vaginal birth intact. You know, like that's the sort of the midwife language. <laughs> your vagina but intact, you mean? Not the baby. Or, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> my vagina was intact. And I, and, I, and, I, and I did a podcast with Australian Birth Stories, which is, again, like a fabulous podcast. Yeah, it like is it's great. good to educate yourself. But I remember getting off the phone and going, I think I just said that I had a rubbery vagina and my husband was like, ooh, that's never good. <laughs> for <laughs> like, him, I'm it's like, brilliant for you. But it's about, again, understanding what your body and believing and knowing the capacity of what your body's got to do. Do you know what I mean? Like and I say, I can, you know, I absolutely advocate. It's, it's then that fear if someone says to you, oh, you've got a big baby on board. And then you're thinking, oh gosh, you know, do I have the capacity and ability to birth this baby? And that's where it comes back to mindset and really believing in yourself and going, no, that's not a reason for me to need a C-section necessarily. I can do this because I now am educated and understand. Plus, I always say to mums, look at our Tongan babies, you know, if you need to have some reassurance, they are big babies, women birth them and have birthed them beautifully for a very long time. I also have women then on the counter say, oh, I've been told that, you know, my pelvis is too narrow or I don't have childbearing hips. Have a look around when you're going for a walk down the street at, you know, particularly small Asian framed women, Mm. they still birth totally beautifully. That's all a myth. Right. Yep, yep. Sometimes what can contribute is the position of the baby. But again, do everything you can antenatally to have your baby in the best possible position. Right. Last one, the placenta. The old placenta. Oh, yes. Do you eat it? Do you not eat it? Do you have it hanging on for as long as possible? <laughs> like are we kind of cutting it off too early? What like I was gonna say it's a really yes. hot topic. Okay, so you Touched on a few things there. Um, and I will say, you know, 10 years ago, this wasn't even being talked about in Australia, but it was in the States. So it's now become popular here. There is no Australian evidence papers, like, you know, clinical evidence to say what benefit that is going to give to you health wise. But I will say, on the flip side, anecdotally, a lot of women have reported that by ingesting their placenta, that it's helped with their milk supply, it's helped stabilise their mood, the science and the theory behind it being that it's an incredibly iron-rich substance, so you will be quite depleted of iron after you have your baby, so you're boosting your iron stores in that way. Again, it's about making that decision what's right for you. Personally, I have absolutely no problem with it. I, I think If I had my time again, again, my children are five and seven, so it wasn't really as popular then, I probably would have dehydrated my placenta, capsulized it Mm -hmm. and had it because Mm. what's the harm? Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like why not? I'm I'm like probably a little bit more 
hippie amongst my friends, but I'm like, hey, whatever, you know, if it's, if it's going to help, I'm open to that. What I will say is around the raw placenta smoothies, I would be oh, wow. really conscious yeah. around how that's stored, at what temperature, is it safe to be ingesting raw? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like I just go, personally, if you want my personal opinion, I'm very opposed to that. I would hate to see a mother get unwell. It's just common sense of overall everything, right? Because it's like if you're – it's it's a culture yeah. that we're not generally eating brains and those kinds of things. Maybe people are. Maybe that works for them. But that's not us. And I think sometimes it might be you and that might be different for you. But I think when we do start to look at things and look at different traditions and go, yeah, but this is done, it's like, but not here – we don't do that, you know, like mm. that's not something your stomach mm. is necessarily used to. And so it's actually, that's right. yeah, I'm sh- yeah, it is a funny It's one. kind of like about making that decision, but I will say encapsulated, I'm all for. you. And then you also touched on cord um, pulsation. Yes. So once the baby's I'm born, it's called delayed this. cord clamping. So letting the, yeah, letting the placenta continue to pulse. So all the goodness that the placenta is delivering via the umbilical cord to the baby let that all be delivered. And look, I do, and it's actually becoming really common practice, encourage everybody to request that or talk to their care providers about that. And again, it's about you doing your research and understanding what works for you. The time that we're not going to do that, and I've had women again saying that they felt disappointed because they weren't given the time for the cord to con- to mm-hmm. stop pulsing, so they didn't get the delayed mm-hmm. cord clamping. But that was when their baby was requiring resuscitation. (laughs) So it's really just I've had to unpack with those women, well, what was the priority there? Well, the priority was getting oxygen to your baby's brain. Sorry. You know, I know it sounds a bit harsh, but I've then also got to go, I'm a health professional, I'm going to cut that cord and I'm going to get that baby to oxygen ASAP. Yeah, well, that yeah, that's there's no arguments from me there. Um, oxygen, <laughs> it does tick. sound a little bit like oh, yeah. okay, I just became the scary midwife. No, didn't I? <laughs> it, it becomes that the person lost their idea of the priority list, You're like keeping baby alive. Tick, oxygen, tick. Yeah. Um. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a birth wish, not a birth plan. You know, my birth wish is to have delayed cord clamping. But if for some reason it doesn't happen, yeah. then that's yeah, okay. Yeah, and I think it's, um, it is a bit of a priority list because there's lots of things going on too. So I think it's, you know, great if everything goes swimmingly and it all just kind of ticks off one after the other, but it's not always the case. Um, this has been such an epic chat. I've taken away so much from it and it's just given me a whole other level of context around things that I already felt like I'd researched. So I thank you very, very much for your time, Edwina, and thank you very much for all the work that you do in this space too. Oh, my absolute pleasure, Stace, and I can't wait to hear about your safe arrival. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you very much. This has been another Bijou Podcast production. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.